Thank you for taking the time to listen to the sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this, you are challenged by the Word of God, you are built up in love, and that you are drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We want to remind you, this is never meant to substitute God's good plan for you to be present in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you do live in the North Toronto area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to join us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. Our desire is that God would use this to encourage you with the hope we have in Jesus. Turn to James chapter 5. This is the final message uh, in our series called That's a Good Word, Solid Advice for Life in an Unstable World. And this is a weekend where we take time to celebrate. Now, we celebrate lots of things, right? We, we celebrate when we, we buy a house, you know, that first house. You celebrate when you get a job. People celebrate when they become citizens of this country. And this is a weekend where we pause, we stop, churches sort of all over the GTA and around the world, and we celebrate the resurrection. And here's what 1 Corinthians says about the resurrection. This is written by the Apostle Paul. It says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. If Jesus isn't alive, we're wasting our time. All the singing that just went on, me standing up here talking to you, all that kind of stuff is just a waste. He says, if in Christ we have hoped in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But, here it is, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. We are not wasting our time. Jesus is alive. And here's the thing. The brother of Jesus believes this. And you're like, show me, Marv. Okay, I'll show you. Look at verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. That could be brothers and sisters. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until he receives the early and the late rains. Did you see what James says? Be patient until the coming of the Lord. Verse 8, you also be patient. Establish your hearts. That could be translated, stand firm. Hold on to the faith. Why? For the coming of the Lord is at hand. That word coming in the Greek is perusia. It actually is the word for presence. So what's James telling us? That one day, you, me, my mother, we will be in the presence of the Lord. That's what he's trying to say. There's a day coming where we are going to stand and we're going to see the skies open and our Savior is going to be in front of us. We are going to be in the presence. Now, you got to remember, too, this is really important because of the context. Now, Shay did a 
real good job on Good Friday to help us understand the, the context. Verses 1 to 6, you're, it's people who are being persecuted. It's people who are suffering. It's people who are struggling. And so when James says, stand firm, he's talking to the people who are suffering, who are in trials, who are being oppressed, Shay talked about. He says, stand firm. Why? For the coming of the Lord is at hand. He's telling them, there is a day coming where everything's going to be changed. Everything is going to be made right. When Jesus comes, the vibe is going to be different. When Jesus comes, everything is going to be reversed. It's going to be laughter, not tears. It's going to be peace, not strife. It's going to be health, not sickness. That's what we look forward to. And so he says, hold on, brothers and sisters. He says, don't give up. Better days are ahead. There'll be rest, not toil. Everything will be different. Now, he says wait. But here's the thing. Waiting doesn't mean inactivity. Waiting on the Lord doesn't mean we just kind of sit on our hands. There is work to be done. I just smashed my communion cup. I'm going I'm to need shade somewhere. He, he always rescues me when I make a mess like that. There's a day coming where everything is going to be Different, and there's not inactivity. We are to be doing things. Here's the big thing I want us to take away Jesus is coming again. I can tell that that didn't hit you the way it should have. So I'm just gonna roll back and I'm gonna come at you again. Jesus is coming again. That's right. And we should. Work while we wait. There's some things to do, and you're going to see it in the text. My aim is to show you what those things are. And then I want you to see that, that when we do those things, that we are loving the people in our life. That as we wait on our Savior, there's some things that we're supposed to do. Here's the first one. As we wait on Christ to come back, we should be careful with our speech. Careful with our speech. Verse 9, do not grumble against one another, brothers. I'll say that for Vivian, brothers. We are not to grumble, he says. Again, remember, these people are facing poverty, persecution, oppression. Under that kind of pressure, it's real easy to get vexed with one another. Doesn't take long. But James says, don't get upset with one another. Don't grumble against one another. The CSB translates this, do not complain about each other. There's nothing worse than when people in, in church just complain about one another, talking about each other behind their back. The, God says that we are not to complain about one another. We're supposed to talk to each other. The scriptures say that we are to speak the truth in love. If you have a problem with somebody, the, 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 the thing to do is to walk up to them and say, can we talk? And speak truthfully to one another. When people, when we grumble about people in our church, in our family, in our workplace, it destroys unity. And so he says, don't do that. Verse 12, but above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by 
earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no. Now he tells them, just speak truthfully. Just, just give your word and keep your word. And when we give our word and keep our word, then people know that they can trust us. People know that we are dependable. And so we don't have to give an oath. Yes, I can do that. No, I can't do that. And we keep our word. But I want to show you the main reason why he says this. It's in verse 9. So that, this is the second half of verse 9, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. There again, this idea that Jesus is coming. Verse 12, same thing. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. So that, there it is again, so that you may not fall under condemnation. James here says judgment is real and judgment is coming. And that's what he, he doesn't want them to fall under condemnation. Matthew 12, 36 says everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. There is solid motivation to think before we speak. There is solid motivation to be wise with our words because we will have to give an account. Now this next section is all about prayer. Verses 13 to 18. Prayer, this is just good ways for us to read our Bible. Prayer is mentioned in every verse. When you get home, check it. In every single verse. And so you're like, what's he talking about? Well, he talk, if he's saying it a lot, what I tell you guys all the time when I'm up here, if you see it a lot being repeated, that's what's going on. He's talking about prayer. As we wait on Jesus, we should use the gift of prayer. We should use the gift of prayer. The way my key gives me access to my house. Prayer gives us access to God's unlimited power. Prayer gives us access to God's unlimited goodness. Prayer gives us access to God's unlimited ability. It's this beautiful gift that we've been given by God. Look at verse 13. He says, is any among you suffering? I bet lots of us could nod in a way right now to that question. Is anyone among you suffering? What does he say? Let him pray. Is anyone among you cheerful? Let him sing praise. James says that when suffering comes, the response is prayer. Before we run somewhere else, we run to our Father. And we run to God, why? Because help's available. Let me show you, Psalm 65. Praise is rightfully yours, God, in Zion, the one who hears prayer. And that word hears there, it's actually, it's not just, a, just listening. It actually is a, a hearing that is intent to do something for the person who hears prayer. Hebrews 416, one of my favorite verses. Let us approach the throne of grace with what? Boldness. And boldness in scripture just means courageous clarity. Just speaking clearly to God. So in prayer, we should just be clear. Here's what's up. Here's what's going on. 
Here's where I'm struggling. Here's where I'm confused. Just bold, clear speech. Why? So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. The Father, our Father, is available to help. And in prayer, you know what God does in prayer? God gives strength. In prayer, God gives wisdom. James has been talking about that. When a trial comes, he says, don't run from the trial. He says, pray for wisdom because God will give you the wisdom to sort out and navigate the trial, to see it for what it is, that God is using it to mature you and sanctify you, that it's an opportunity for growth. We pray God gives us perspective to see the bigger picture. That I'm involved in something greater and that God is working beautifully in ways sometimes that we don't even know, but we need to trust. And so we pray. Then he says, is anyone among you cheerful? Let him sing praise. Praise is a part of prayer. See, we're not supposed to just go and pray and just say, I need this, I want this, I need this, I want this, I need. It's not just always asking, asking, asking. Sometimes in prayer, we should just spend a good amount of time just giving praise. Why? Because just because of who God is. See, we worship God not just because of what we get from him. We worship God because he is God. No one like him, creator of the universe, sustaining us right now, giving grace every day. Come on, lift your voice and say amen when I'm talking. Don't leave me up here. And so we give him praise for who he is. Verse 14, let me keep going. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. James says the sick person should call the elders and they should pray over the person. And notice that the text says to, that they are to anoint with oil. Now you're like, what does that mean? Anointing a person with oil was simply a symbol of saying this person is set apart for God's special attention and care. Let me just say this right now. If you're sick and struggling, then allow us, the elders of our church, love to pray, want to pray. Don't sort of suffer in silence. Let us know so we can pray over you. Call on God to do what only he can do. And James tells us what prayer can do. You're like, where does he do that? Well, it's in the text, verse 15. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. That phrase there, raise up, is talking about the person being raised up out of the sickbed. And notice, though, that's not just any kind of prayer. Again, we want to read the Bible closely. We want to read the Bible deeply so we make sure we're understanding what the Word of God is saying. He says it's the prayer of faith. Not a 
not a praying like he talked about earlier in the letter with like a double-mindedness. I think you can, but I, maybe you can't. I think you can, but maybe you can't. I think not praying like that. It's prayer with rock-solid faith. God can heal if he wants. And then the other side of faith, because there's two sides to this. It's a rock-solid belief that God can heal if he wants, but then there's also a committed trust in God that if he does not heal, he knows what he's doing. That's balance. You want to play with ba- pray with balance. You want to have the right attitude in prayer. God can do it if he wants, but God's sovereign. We talked about that in chapter 4. He knows what is best. And I don't say that to be hurtful. I don't say that to be disrespectful to the person who's struggling. I mean that from a place of love. So don't get me wrong on that. But it's a belief that God knows what is best. And that even if he chooses not to heal, he's going to carry me. He's going to guide my soul through the struggle. Prayer, James is trying to tell us here, can lead to healing. Verse 16, then he says, therefore, in light of all of that, in light of all that was said, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He's saying Elijah was just like us. And he prayed fervently with passion, pleading with God that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. I want you to notice that in the text, James calls the believer righteous. Now, he calls the believer righteous not because of us. Not because of anything we've done. We all know that. We are counted righteous because of Jesus Christ. There it is. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin. Who knew no sin? Jesus didn't sin at all. Not once. He knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We're not righteous because of anything we've done. We've done nothing. We're righteous because of Jesus Christ. Because of his life, his perfect life lived for us. His death on the cross in our place. His resurrection on the third day to show that sin was prayed for. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, then we are counted righteous. And God looks and he says, there is my child who is in Christ, who I love, who I protect, who I'm guiding at all times. We're not righteous because of us. We're righteous because of Jesus Christ. It's all because of him. Now this This word healed here is talking about physical and spiritual healing. And so what James is saying is that when we confess our sin, that that healing can come. But how many of us know that confessing, don't leave me up here, put your hand up, confessing sin is hard. It's hard. It's like running a marathon. I was talking to Vivian earlier this week, and she was standing right here, and she's like, I'm running a marathon on Sunday. And I'm like, why? It's hard. Remember the episode of Fresh Prince? Remember this, Jeffrey? 
Anybody, nobody seen that? Running the marathon, then he gets on the bus in the middle of the... Why? I mean, it made sense to me what Jeffrey was doing. It was hard. Confessing sin, just like it's, it's hard. It's not easy. But if we want spiritual healing, it's the hard step we need to take. Proverbs 28 says the one who conceals his sin will not prosper. So if we hold on to it, we won't prosper, the word says. But whoever confesses and renounces them will find mercy. Mercy available when we divulge, when we share. Now I want to give you two practical takeaways from this, because this is important. This verse reminds us that we need Christian fellowship. Notice, I did not use the word community. Because sometimes what we talk about as community is not what the Bible has in mind. Fellowship is the right word. It's a deeper word. It's about people who are committed to one another who hold each other down no matter what. Yes, there's struggle and there's trials and, and there's strife sometimes between us, but we say, I'm, I'm for you. And so we are supposed to have this fellowship. See, God does not expect us to do battle with our sin on our own. He has given us brothers and sisters in the faith to help us in the fight. And what we need to do is we need to humbly embrace the help if we need it. We need to walk into it. Now here's the other side, because I always want to try to be balanced when I give stuff. When somebody humbly confesses sin to us, we need to be wise in our actions. The first is we need to practice compassion. There needs to be a level of compassion when somebody's speaking to us, saying, here's what's going on in my life, here's what I'm dealing with, and not one of pride. Then we need to practice confidentiality. Don't go telling people's business. We look at the person and we say, remember he talked about, you give your word, you can trust me. We practice confidentiality. Then we practice humility, and this is what's important. We practice humility because in a couple weeks it might need to be us going to them and confessing some sort of sin. So there's a humility that is in our life knowing that, yes, you're at that spot right now, but in 10 minutes I could be right where you are. And I, can, I need you to pray for me. And that should be our heart. James, what he does is he shows us in this section that prayer works. And that prayer is powerful. That's the illustration of Elijah. He's trying to show us that it's powerful. Now, when you read New Testament letters, they tend to end with benedictions. Right? The grace of the Lord be with you. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Grace and peace, all that nice kind of flowery stuff. But that's not how James ends things. He ends this letter with a call to action. Verse 19, my brothers, if any among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings him back has back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. As we wait on Jesus, we should pursue those who stray. 
We should pursue those who stray. And this is something that we commit to as members of our church. Let me show you. I hope it's there. There it is. As members, we commit in this family. Again, remember, our, our heart and our goal here as a church is to be tight, to be deep, to be stuck together, to look out for one another. And so we commit to doing this, guarding the purity of the gospel message and gospel witness through grace-filled watchfulness of one another, members and elders. Five, we humbly and graciously receive correction and reproof from one another, lovingly and zealously pursuing reconciliation and restoration when necessary. We do this because that's what the scriptures call for. If somebody drifts we go after them. Now you're like, okay, what if you go after them and then they don't come back? What if you pursue someone who's strayed but they don't, they don't come back to the faith? Does that mean that they've lost their salvation? No. Because chapter 1, verse 18 says they never had it. Verse 18 says, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. The person who drifts and never comes back never had a heart change. They were never brought to new life. First John says they went out from us, but they did not come back to us. If they were of us, they would have come back. And so the person never had it. But if they do come back, it's big what happens. It says that their, verse 20, their soul is saved from death. Their sin is covered. And that's because they come back to Jesus. See, when you wander from the truth, you're actually wandering away from Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the truth. John 14 says, Jesus said, I am the way and the, see it, truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. When you wander away from Jesus, you're wandering, sorry, you're wandering from the truth. You're wandering away from Jesus Christ. But when you come back, he forgives the sin. And he promises eternal life. See, the person who drifts from the truth, what James is trying to show you is they're in danger. The text says that they're on the road to death. Again, this is why when a brother or sister in the family strays, we go after them because they're in danger. And I want to say here that there's a word for the unbeliever in this text. And with all due respect, just hear me on this, but I want to say to the unbeliever that you have strayed from the truth. And the reality is that your soul is in danger. That's what the text is trying to teach the person who has rejected Jesus Christ. Who's like, God doesn't exist. I don't want any of that. You are in danger. You are driving in a car down the 401 going 250 miles an hour with no brakes. And that road does not end well. But here is the hope. Here is my heart to you. Here is me pursuing you right now in preaching. You don't have to stay on that road. Because Jesus says, I am the way. You can get off that dangerous road and on the road to life. 
if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you do what the Bible calls repenting from sin, hope is available. Grace is available every single day. If you would simply humble yourself and believe the gospel, believe that we have sinned against God, but that God in his grace takes a step towards us, sends his son who lives perfectly, dies in our place, rises from the grave, is sitting on the throne right now and will come again to rescue us one day. If you believe that, your life will be changed and you will be on a road of safety because Jesus will bring us home. And that's the word to the unbeliever to trust. And that's the word also to us to hold on to our faith because in Jesus Christ, we're not on the road of danger. We're on the road to safety, a road of grace, a road of kindness. And so we hold on. James here, he gives some very specific things to do. Specific things to do. And what he's doing is he's following the example set by his brother, Jesus Christ. Jesus gives us some things to do. He told us to share the gospel and start churches while doing good works. So we spread the gospel, but we also love our neighbor, word and deed. Jesus says that we are to do that. Then he tells us to make disciples and actually disciple them. Help them grow in the faith. Then he tells us to protect the flock. There are verses for us to go and look up. To protect the flock and the unity of the spirit. Again, that same watchfulness. We go after the person who drifts. We also protect the unity that the Spirit has created. And then he tells us to love and serve one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. What? By your love for one another. And then Jesus also tells us to observe communion. And we're going to do that. 1 Corinthians 11 says the the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you here's the observance do this in remembrance of me in the same way he also took the cup after supper saying this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me and this is so beautiful for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes remember I started by telling you Jesus will come again and every time we take communion we're saying he's coming we're saying we believe when we take communion we're remembering what Jesus has done for us when we take communion, we're declaring that Jesus is alive and he's coming. And we're also, when we take communion, expressing our unity and commitment to work while we wait. We're saying every time in communion, I believe I'm in again. I believe, I believe, I believe I'm holding on to the faith. I believe Jesus has done all of this for me. 
I believe and I'm willing to wait. I believe and I'm willing to endure the trial. I'm willing to endure the suffering. I'm willing to endure the difficulty of life on this earth because I know one day it's all going to be changed. Remember, the vibe is going to change. And so when we take communion, it's not this, it's not this, this thing that we shouldn't sort of think deeply on. That we do as just some ritual in church. We take it and we think seriously about all that it means. Because we're proclaiming his death, life, resurrection in our place until he comes. And before we take communion, we're called in scripture to examine ourselves. Just to take a moment to reflect, to see how am I, how am I with the Lord, how am I with other people? Is there any sins that need to be confessed? We are to do that. We're also to give thanks. Part of the examining is giving thanks and saying thank you Jesus again. So we're going to do that. But I also want to say that if you're not a believer, that the Bible calls you not to take communion. And again, we're asking you not to take it, to abstain, and there's no judgment at all. But the Bible says that communion is only for believers. And so we're going to take a couple minutes and we're just going to get our hearts in a good spot and then we're going to take together. given for us to make a way to the Father. 
remember the blood of Christ that was shed for us again so that we could have hope and life to look forward to. Let's take together. Father, we give you thanks. Lord, on this weekend where we stop, we celebrate, we intentionally think about the the cross, the night where Jesus, or the day when Jesus gave himself for us, to pay for our sin, to take our place. But we also, Lord God, remember that on the third day they, they went and the tomb was empty. And Father, we have taken communion and this tangible reminder that Jesus gave all for us, but also that Jesus is alive. That Jesus has made a way for us, that we are on the way to salvation. But I also, Lord God, want to pray for the person in the room who is not on the way. Lord, they're on a path that is going somewhere different. I pray, Father, that you would speak to their heart right now. That you would transform, that you would change them. That you would, Lord, do what you have done for those who know you, Lord. Would you show them grace the way you've shown us grace? Lord, none of us are worthy. None of us have done anything. Lord, it's all your son. We have not earned our salvation. Jesus paid it all for us. Jesus is the one who made a way. And so I pray, God, that you would cause that person to trust. But I also pray, Father, for my brothers and sisters who are struggling and suffering, who are in the midst of a trial. Would they pray to you, Lord? Would they come to you every day for help and grace? Would you help us to be careful, Lord, with the words that we say to one another? And I pray also, would you give us courage to, if we're sick, to plead with you to heal us and give us faith and grace to trust you, Lord God, if you choose not to. But more than anything, we pray, God, that you'd help us to hold on to the faith, to believe that you have made a way and to celebrate, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and sing. This one's going to be a good one, too. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit HopeTorontoNorth.com.